0: to the auto parent podcast with my mom.
1: Hello, hello, and welcome to the auto parent podcast episode 22. 22. I don't know about you. I'm feeling 22. Are you feeling 22? 22. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's just laughing at me. Um, so
0: I feel like forty-seven on most days. <laughs> so
1: so uh, I'm your host, Pastor Casey, and y'all know me. And you've already heard our special guest for this episode. This episode is a really special pride-themed episode, and so it was only appropriate that we had Reverend Will Green, the pastor of Discipleship here at Foundry, join us for this episode. So hello and welcome.
0: Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> it's good to be with you today.
1: We're also sitting right across from one another, so this is like only the second podcast episode of Recorded in person.
0: Isn't it amazing to be able to actually see people's faces below the nose?
1: (laughs) It's amazing. I love it. Um, Okay, so we're just going to get right into some special guest questions as we usually do. The first one is tell me your biggest pet peeve.
0: Oh, there are so many. I'm such a crotchety old man. (laughs) Um, You know, these days, I think it's people who don't use their blinkers when they're changing lanes. Oh yeah, I stay pretty calm most of the time, but when somebody doesn't use their blinker and they come into my lane, I lose all my religion and most of my
1: sanity. <laughs> I've a, actually seen you have road rage, and it's pretty intense. <laughs> so I can attest.
0: There is reason, a reason. There's a reason I don't have a clergy sticker in my car, and this is primarily <laughs> the reason why. <laughs> because the things that my face does when people do that—that's mm, funny.
1: Normal. I have I have noticed that since moving here, my road rage has increased exponentially. People don't know how to drive in D.C. They really
0: don't. They really don't. Like, and, and, I, and I thought for a while during the pandemic, like, wow, God's grace has been, like, working on my spirit. The road rage is gone. And no, no, it's back with a vengeance.
1: <laughs> as yeah. are all
0: the drivers on D.C.
1: Exactly. Trip. It was just that people were taking breaks at home and not driving, like, crazy people in the city. Look. Yeah. Okay. So I hear you on that for sure. Um, all right. This next question is uh, – is, is a funny question, and it doesn't necessarily even have to be a good story, which is what we always say. And immediately, I'm already thinking about all the times that we've laughed, like, until we're in stitches on the floor. But can you tell the listeners a story about a time that you've laughed super hard?
0: So I'm really glad you kind of teed this up with me, because I've been sitting over here rifling (laughs) through my memories. When I was about 27, I took my grandmother hiking at our favorite campground uh, in Albert Pike, at Albert Pike in Arkansas. Uh, And she couldn't really hike, so I sat her down by the river and she took her oil paints and was painting. And she has this tendency, God love her, to, to wax a little poetic via text. So I'm halfway up the mountain with my boyfriend at the time and I get this text from my grandmother of this beautiful scene of the river. And I think what she meant to say in this very pastoral kind of tone uh, was sitting by the river, thinking to myself, "My God, how great Thou art!" But, as autocorrect is often wont to do, <laughs> particularly when we use words we shouldn't use via text, uh, it inserted an H between the S and the I and the phrase "sitting in the sitting by the river," and so what I saw was. <laughs> I almost fell off the mountain. <laughs> and I think I texted back, are you sure you have, a, do, you, or do you need any toilet paper or something like that? I just, I didn't know what else to say. And so I still bring that out when I want to, when I want to embarrass her or catch her off guard, I ask her how she's doing by the river. Oh
1: my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> and if you're still thinking about it, if you're still ruminating on it, because it took me a minute to, the implication here is the autocorrect changed it to shitting by the river. Yes,
0: that is exactly right. <laughs>
1: Which, you know, would have made an interesting, you know, addition to, you know, going down to the river to pray.
0: To pray. uh, (laughs) Old mothers, let's go down. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. I prefer a little more privacy than that. Thank you very much. Grew up in Arkansas. I know, but yeah. (laughs) I'm dying over here. (laughs)
1: Oh my gosh, that that story did not disappoint at all. Okay, so as we mentioned at the top of the episode, this is a is a really special episode. It's a pride episode. And so I'll let will identify himself. I am someone who identifies as pansexual and a clergy person, and there's a lot of things that go into that, and, and Will, you can identify yourself, and then we'll talk a little bit about why pride is important, how to talk to your kids about pride, what your kids really need from you, um, and we'll share some, some personal stories.
0: Yeah, so I identify as a cisgender, queer man, right? And, and I think the gift and even being able to say that, right, is the fact that I've had a family and a community that's allowed me over the course of my life to grow into that identity um it's not always been stagnant right it's it's shifted as i've come to know who i am in the fullness of all the places that i've lived
1: yeah yeah me too i <laughs> i did a thing today with my hair because i've been having some gender stuff going on so i'm feeling a little bit more androgynous in a way that i you know like it so you know it's an ever evolving thing it really is yeah. right and, and
0: and and the gift of being able to give folk the permission to explore that is also the gift of, of receiving that same permission right as we yes. share it with others uh, we find ourselves suddenly able to let go of maybe some of the things that we've been holding on to that we need to let go of so we can be uh, more who we're created to be
1: yeah that's right That's also right. you're looking
0: like Khaleesi over here and I'm here for all of yes
1: honey yes I have said this on my Instagram today. If Khaleesi and Arya Stark had a baby, it would be my haircut. And I could not like, just, there's no more badasses than that. It's true. I know. Okay, so we're gonna talk a little bit about how to talk to your kids about pride, why pride is important. And yeah, so initially, what are your thoughts about why, why is pride important and how is it something that we definitely should be talking to our kids about? Mm-hmm. And what are some ways that we can do that?
0: Well, you know, in in the kind of mix of everything that's going on in the world right now, one of the things that we often forget is that pride, probably because it's so ubiquitous, it's like everywhere, right? Rainbows and glitter and uh, parades uh, began as a response to state-sanctioned police brutality against queer women of color, yep. right? Uh, and so not only is it timely in the fact that in our school systems, in our churches, hopefully, if we're in the right churches... Uh, <laughs> Uh, And in the world we're having conversations about uh, racially motivated state sanctioned police brutality and violence. It's, it's, it's important to tell that story of pride, right? Pride was a riot. Pride was a riot. Pride was a riot. Um, And it's a reminder too that oppression, right? Violence against people's bodies is intersectional.
1: Yeah.
0: And for so many of our kids who are working out their own sexual identity, right? Mm -hmm. Especially as they get older, Um, it gives them permission to to kind of claim their own authority, autonomy, and place in the conversation too.
1: Yeah, which is super, super important, especially during that developmental age. I'm thinking like between... You know, sometimes it starts as early as like four and five years old, kids are starting to sort of recognize their their bodies and, and assimilate within their body or, or not. And so being able to have and create safe space to express those things is really important. But also that, that really crucial developmental stage between like late fifth grade going into sixth grade and entering into high school. And, and it really spans all the way up until about the beginning of junior year. Like that's a really crucial time period where it's important to create space in our homes to be able to to talk about these types of things.
0: Right. Well, and to model what it means to to say the thing, right? Because yeah. so often in our schools and in our youth groups and in our, our kind of children's gathering spaces, it's not really clear how to, how to kind of stake out your space to say that kind of stuff. Uh, and so I think about my own mother, whose best friend uh, was a gay man, uh, talking about how, how important it was for him to just be himself and why he left Arkansas and what it meant for him to leave Arkansas and how it, it was a part of the only way he could live, not just physically live, but spiritually live, emotionally live, right? Her talking about that when I was a little kid helped me begin to put framework and phrasing to my own coming out later on down the road, even though I wasn't ready for it then.
1: Yeah, that's so important because I, as a kid, I was raised sort of in a family where I wasn't told that there was really this like gender structure based on... Based on external factors, like I grew up in a basketball family, I played sports, I wore whatever the hell I wanted to, I did my hair however I wanted to. It, there wasn't any sort of like feminine ideal that I was, I was um, being uh, encouraged to like be held to, but I didn't know there was a name for what was going on. I didn't know that like my experience was any different than anyone else. Like it was, it was really striking when I went to college and I was like, Oh, what? (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) And so I didn't really come into identifying my queerness until like much later age, even though like that was something that I knew was happening within me. There wasn't, there wasn't language for it. It just kind of was who I was. So I'm thankful at least that there was no condemnation for that, which is a huge, you know, gift that I received from my parents. But but still, it would have been nice, as you were saying, to have some kind of like language or community, even that that celebrates and validates and encourages those types of sort of revelations about who we are.
0: Well, and I think you know what I what I remember so much about my own childhood is that there was there was uh, space to have the conversation. Um, I wasn't ready to come out until much later. In fact, I was outed um, in a variety in a kind of a, a series of events. That's a whole other podcast. Yes, right? it is. Um, but. Uh, The fact that I knew that my family had the capacity to have the conversation when I was ready to have the conversation, right? And as I was coming into an awareness of my queerness, long before I was ready to to talk about it, I knew that when the time came, it wasn't going to put me at risk. I wasn't going to lose my family in the process. I was at least going to be able to go and, and have them share in, if not celebrate, this part of who I was. So they, from the time I was young, they set up a, a, without even knowing it, I'm sure it wasn't conscious. They set up a space for me to trust that this process of exploration was okay.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. And they were going to have me regardless.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's so unbelievably crucial. And I know for, for my kids, like we've, we started that like from birth, Mm -hmm. like, We intentionally didn't find out the sex of either of our kids. People thought we were crazy. I mean, they just thought it was the wildest thing they had ever heard. Um, And, like, you know, like, I didn't mention a pet peeve earlier, but let me just, like, rail on... gender reveal parties quote unquote forest fires (laughs) they always end in disaster I and truthfully like just to be vulnerable for a second like in um, my experience of pregnancy and whatever like I was shamed endlessly Mm. for not finding out the sex of my child people would say oh I'm too much of a planner for that really yeah and as a mom I'm like they all shit the same way (laughs) like it does they all have the same yeah shitting by the river situations <laughs> and you change diapers the exact same way. Like, there was nothing about that that had to do, like, that was an indictment on me as a parent, but it was so in the water. Mm-hmm. And so what we we decided early on that that gender construct was not going to be a thing in our household. So our kids kind of express themselves however they want to. They determine what their hair looks like, what clothes they wear, all of that. And I think we also have conversations, very intentional conversations about how our kids are identifying along the way. So so Cash has been really vocal about the way that he identifies as as a boy. I'm a boy, mommy. Like, that's what he says. And so we celebrate and honor that. And, and as the journey moves, if that changes, we celebrate and honor that too. But I don't think there's any point at which It's too early to begin having those conversations.
0: Not at all, right? Because, and and we both do faith formation work, right? So we know that our children especially are picking up on everything that we're putting down, which makes this particular part of parenting so important. The the space you cultivate in creating your home for your children to feel safe, to bring the fullness of their uncertainty and their doubt and their fear and anxiety and and their certainty, right? And their surety and their uh, desire is all important. If 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 you don't if you don't have those kinds of spaces as a child when it's time for you to really utilize them or you're in a time when you really need them, you're not gonna go to your family first. And I've counseled folks in those dynamics and it's it's painful, it's hard.
1: Um, yeah. Going down the I mean, you opened the faith formation floodgates, so let's just you know, go down that trail. Another really important component is around theological language mm-hmm. and the way that like it's not just environment that we create in our homes because that is that is super important but if if for some reason we've compartmentalized the divine yeah. then then that's a whole other box right and so the the way that we talk about God the way we speak about God's interaction with us if that's in any way rooted in cisgendered patriarchal um, oppressive language then that has such a deep, Impact on all of our kids, not just our queer kids, all of our kids, um, and so that's something that's really, really important to me is shifting our theological language to sort of match up. I mean, I've I've shifted to like exclusively using feminine pronouns for God, but mm-hmm. and and my partner Greg is always like, well, you know, like you're just doing the same thing. I'm like, yeah, but like I'm making up for thousands and thousands of years (laughs) of patriarchal bullshit. So you're going to give me this one and whatever. I mean, cash refers to God as non-binary. He says it all the time. And I think it's a really beautiful, like it helps cash understand the concept of a non-binary human because it's in reflection of a non-binary God. So he thinks all non-binary people are God, which is like freaking amazing and beautiful. But like, Creating those types of theological frameworks mm-hmm. for our children it is so, so important because there's there's less of a chance of just complete and utter rejection. That's right.
0: And self-rejection, right? Because yes. what we don't realize is that our, our children, and, and speaking as a queer kid who knew they were a queer kid from a very early age, wind up caught in this internal battle that does all kinds of damage. Spiritual damage, emotional damage, physical damage as they're trying to hold intention, what they're picking up in the ether of their family life and their church life and what they know to be true of themselves. And that's a battle that, that sometimes leaves lasting scars. So I, I just think, I think it's so important that we're thinking critically and creatively about the spaces we're creating and that we're doing the self-examination work. Like we need to be always asking why we think the way we think about what we do and why we do it, whether it's reading the Bible or it's the songs we sing or it's the way we talk about God or the way we talk about LGBTQIA people, right? Like calling it a choice, maybe something that we inherited from our parents or grandparents or whatever, but if you're not thinking about why you're doing what you're doing, you can cause some really significant inadvertent harm.
1: Yeah, that's, that's very true and super helpful to think more not just about like the actual language but the fact that how how we're doing what we're doing and why we're doing what we're doing invariably informs the language as well. Mm-hmm.
0: well and this is not just for this is not just for parents of queer children right? right because you're raising children who are going to have queer friends they may have queer partners they may have queer children of their own and so we we create in our family systems a ripple effect that lasts for generations. And we're trying now, I think, to finally begin to repair the harm, the thousands of years of harm that have been done to women, to queer people, and to people of color because of our unwillingness to think critically and to self-examine around these kinds of things.
1: Yeah, and let me just interject and say this. Like, breaking the cycle of generational harm and trauma and being empowered to show up in a parental role in a way that sort of subverts the family system that you were raised in is hard as hell. It's hard as hell. And so if you are doing that work, if you and your partner or if you're doing it alone, however you're doing that work, it is good and holy and faithful work and you are not alone. And if along the way you feel guilt and shame or you feel you know burdened by it or whatever, like, listen, I say this, we say it every time, guilt and shame can just kick rocks. Like, that's where they can go. They can go off and kick rocks. And if you need to feel empowered in this work, know that you're not alone. I am doing this. There are all kinds of people that are part of the Auto Parent family and the Foundry Family Ministries that are still doing this work. And so, yeah, you're not alone.
0: Yeah. And you can't do it alone. No. That's the other thing, yeah. right? We all need to be in communities that are helping us kind of highlight and recognize the places where we need to do the work and that are also giving us the permission to not always do the work well, because we can't, (laughs) right? We need, and sometimes we need somebody to say, it's okay to be a hot mess. Yeah. This isn't work that you do perfectly or well ever, and it's certainly not when you're trying to shift a whole system or to shift a way of being that's been inherited over generation after generation after generation.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's actually a good segue for us to talk a, a little bit about scripture and the Bible and how perhaps you've experienced it utilized as a weapon, as opposed to, um, you know, a story and journey of, of growth and healing and reconciliation and love. So let's just like spend a little bit of time rather than picking a particular text and just talk about the arc of scripture and story as a whole and kind of the baggage that goes along with that. I'm down. <laughs> Okay, so, I mean, the first question is, like, how how do we reconcile, you know, some of what is is located in our scriptural story with what we know to be true about love and inclusion and hope and reconciliation for all people?
0: Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I think is so important for us to just know at the onset is that intention, when it comes to scripture especially, is everything. The intention yeah. that we bring to the text changes our interpretation, changes our application, changes our use. And so we all know those people who are incredibly, incredibly well-versed biblically, right? You can quote scripture left and right, but if their intention is to prove someone wrong or if their intention is to kind of bolster their own disbelief or address their own fear or anxiety, then the, the scripture becomes a weapon, right? And it's used to bludgeon queer people and black people and women and people that are quote-unquote sinners in whatever kind of framework that person wants to name a sinner a sinner. And if our intention is instead to build a community of love and grace and support to grow deeper in relationship, right? Then what happens is those same texts that can be used to cause such harm and, and, and bolster fear can instead become kind of fertile ground for grace to grow and for love to begin to blossom in our lives and in the world.
1: And for, for faithful interrogation. And it reminds me that I was teaching this Bible study in, in one of my former appointments. And I, I kept saying, you know, like, imagine only coming to Scripture or only utilizing Scripture as a weapon. And I had somebody say to me, it is my weapon. It's my sword. Right? And I just thought, Oh right. Like if that's to your point, like if that's your intention, then <laughs> yeah, of course, like you can weaponize all kinds of things in scripture. Okay. So yeah, I think that's that's a really helpful point is that our intention matters. I mean, just to get real Wesleyan about it, like our experience matters. Mm-hmm. The ways that we can sort of use our logic and reasoning matters. Um, and what our church has historically said. And and whether or not we need to faithfully interrogate that a little bit more because mm-hmm. our church hasn't gotten it right yet. And, yeah, I mean, I think all of those things are important. And and what I'm referencing, of course, is called the Wesleyan quadrilateral And to think of scripture as a tool that we have, but that it can't, you know, essentially it can't stand without experience, reason, and tradition. So talk about how important that idea is with regard to this idea of scripture.
0: Yeah, you know, I think that one of the things that I really appreciate about the Wesleyan approach to scripture is this idea that scripture contains all that's necessary for us to know about who God is, who we are, and who we are in relationship with one another, the word that sometimes it's used is salvation, right? But salvation comes through living into right relationship, living into loving, just, compassionate relationship. Uh, and and in order for us to, to get there, we have to take into account the fullness of, of our own lives, the fullness of what we know about the world, the fullness of, of uh, what we are learning in relationship with other people. And I, and I love that in part because it forces us to never approach the text, to never approach relationship without being really clear about why we're doing what we're doing and what potential impact it's going to have, not just on us, but on others. Right? Yeah. There's this this kind of well-interrogated life that the quadrilateral requires of us mm-hmm. means that that the use of the text is always going to be one, which is life-giving, right? If we're working the quadrilateral.
1: Yeah. It's something that we teach our kids really early on. It's something that's just such a useful tool. And if you, you know, if you if you are listening and you want more information about the quadrilateral, Pastor Willet or I would both love to talk to you about that mm-hmm. tool. We teach it to our Compromands to sort of help interrogate like the social principles and what our church believes about certain things and how the church voices its opinion. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it it is a really, really helpful thing. I want to think a little bit, too, about, like, what Scripture has to say about bodies. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of sort of, like, our faith is a really embodied thing. You want to think about incarnation and Emmanuel and God saying, you know, me too. And thinking about that embodied aspect of our faith with regard to, like, Queerness is also an embodied experience. So what kinds of things, what kinds of connections can you make there?
0: Yeah, well, you know, I think one of the things that has always boggled my mind, particularly uh, for folk that want to call themselves allies of the queer community is this tendency to want to say, God loves you, God celebrates you, we love you, we celebrate you, but we can't quite defend this particular embodied aspect of your life yet. We're gonna get there. yeah. And so what you're expecting people to do is to, to receive the promise of fullness, the promise of a fullness of life, a fullness of joy, a fullness of relationship, but not yet, <laughs> but not yet, right? And we call that allyship because, oh, we're out there fighting for people, or oh, we're out there working for people, but people don't need us to fight for them or work for them if we're not going to give them the space just to live.
1: Yeah, I mean, just to make a direct connection, and, and we were talking about this a little bit earlier, like it's exile. Like, is what it feels like is exile. And it, it even makes me think of Jeremiah after the Israelites are in Babylonian exile. And the message from Jeremiah is like, is this thing that people like get tattooed on them, right? Like God's going to show up and take care of you as God promised. God has a plan to prosper you, plan to take care of you, all of that. But the very next thing out of Jeremiah's mouth is like, not now. But for right now, you're going to have to figure out a way to feed yourself, to clothe yourself, to be fruitful and multiply, to make this place your home. And I think sometimes it's helpful to hear that God fulfills God's promises and that that God's promise for a bright future is is imminent, but also like, what about right now? Right. Like what you're saying is so, so important to the queer experience. Like it's not just tolerance. It's not just acceptance. It's not just inclusion. It's, it's about letting voices be heard and validated, letting bodies be celebrated, letting all of our members be invited into leadership in ways that are faithful and mm-hmm. celebratory. And
0: yeah. Well, our scriptural interpretation is so critical to all of this, right? And, I, and, and the way that we approach scripture is so critical in all of this, because of course you can go back and you can create these kind of false narratives of now and not yet and say, oh, well, you're, you know, you just, you've got the responsibility of waiting for a time yeah. and it's okay. You can build an argument to justify just about anything, but when you come to the text, as a person of faith, and you know that your primary commitments, your prime orientation, the way you're going to read it, or teach your children to read it, or teach your children's children to read it, is oriented around love, compassion, justice, mercy, and right relationship with God and other people, then you can't do that. (laughs) So going back to our earlier conversation, this, this work that we do for queer people, and this work that we do around scriptural interpretation and and, and living a, a scripturally integrous life, right? They go hand in hand. Yeah. They can't be separated.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, if you don't get anything else out of this podcast, which I hope you get a lot, but what Pastor Will is leading us to with this idea of, of approaching the text with compassion And grace and and mercy and um, an orientation of love is so, so important because then sort of all the other questions that we have, the hermeneutic that we've given ourselves to look at those questions and to interrogate those questions actually creates for us less of an ability to kick our own ass. Yes, (laughs)
0: Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, you know, I, think about, I think about the way that my family responded to my own queerness. And, and this is something that I think for parents, particularly parents of queer children or children who are in the process of coming out, um, I, I hope that you're able to find the same freedom my mother did when I came out. Because she, she sat me down and she said, I love you unconditionally. I know God loves you unconditionally. I've got some grieving I've got to do. That's my work. It's not your work. I don't expect you to do this. And I don't think God expects you to do this, but I've got to do this. Yeah. Know that it's not about you. Yeah. And in that simple statement, she gave me permission to be my full self, to honor the fact that she was trying to figure out kind of how she was going to hold all of that. But that didn't mean that I had to question my place in, in the, the family of God and my own family or my relationship with her in the future. Right. She She gave me permission to be me and took from me the responsibility that so many queer children feel to fight for their place, to fight for their right, to fight for their belonging. Yeah. And it was because at the end of the day, she had this hermeneutic of love mm-hmm. that she brought to the table. And she refused to read scripture in any other way. So she gave herself the permission to ask the questions and to hold the tension and to do that in a way that, that didn't question that one thing, that love thing, mm-hmm. that questioned all the other stuff the world had given her that might make her live out a different kind of truth, right?
1: Yeah, that's so, it's so powerful, so powerful. And just a reminder of the role that parents can play in in helping cultivate an experience of coming out or coming into queerness or recognizing our identities in a healthy and safe mm-hmm. and beautiful and just a good way, yeah. you know?
0: Well, and I think for for parents, I, I, I work with a group called... Um, Pinwheels for a long time yes. in Northern Illinois. It's a it's a support group for parents of gender nonconforming and trans children and youth. And and for parents to to trust that it's okay for them to not be okay, to like have questions and doubts and fears and, and uncertainty and anxiety and all that stuff. And yet to do that in a way that doesn't expect their children to work that out for them, or that doesn't work that stuff out on their children, is yeah. so critical. And this hermeneutic of love we're talking about is one of the ways that you can do that, right? That you can build a bowl to hold all your own stuff and to do that with an open hand and with love and compassion for yourself while still not causing harm to your child inadvertently as you're working all that stuff out.
1: Yeah. And I wanna say too, like if this is if this is your experience or if you're going through something like this, like obviously your pastoral team is here to talk with you and also direct you to a therapist if that's what you need. (laughs) Hashtag Jesus and a therapist all the time. But yeah, like it's just important for all of us to know that we're not on this journey alone. And as Pastor Will said earlier, we can't do this alone. And that's kind of what this podcast
0: is about yeah absolutely so, building a community of love and support for the journey yeah
1: well it's been really
0: amazing to do this with you yeah, this was so fun <laughs> absolutely thank you
1: thanks for listening to the auto parent podcast we're going to leave you with a parent mantra something you can say to yourself or to your partner just to know that you're not alone your mantra for this week is i set an intention of love I set an intention of love. Because friends, if we don't believe that, it's going to be really hard to convince our kids. And remember this, you don't have to be an auto parent to be a good one. I've been your host, Pastor KC. You can follow me on Twitter at RevKCVC. Join us next week, same time, same place. You can find out more information about Foundry United Methodist Church by visiting our website, www.foundryumc.org. If you're specifically looking for information about our family ministries department or our offerings for parents, you can find those at www.foundryumc.org slash family ministries.